our guest is a graffiti pioneer turned legendary artist. In this episode, Say Adams discusses his journey from the streets of New York to global galleries, his influence on hip-hop, iconic album covers, and his unique blend of street art and mainstream culture. It's time to dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, Say Adams, how are you? Good, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start right off the bat from the beginning, you know, because you started um, over 40 years ago and you were very much in the middle of the hip hop culture in New York in the mid 70s and mid 80s. What was it like to be in that environment? What was New York like in those days? It was rough. You know, New York was a tough place back in the day. Um, you know, but again, I was, I was a, a teenager, so I didn't know it was rough. It was the only thing that I knew, but man, it was just such a, a great time to grow up because you had, you know, in addition to hip hop being born, you know, you had Blondie and the Talking Heads and the Ramones and, and all of these bands sort of, you know, taken off in uh, New York and being a part of that was a, a big deal, you know, and, and, you know, when I say being a part of that, just mean being aware of it the idea that it, it was happening in my city, not that I, you know, I was able to go out and do a whole lot. I was really, really young, but I'm aware of it. Yeah, but that definitely caused an impact for you and people in, that, in, in your neighborhood to kind of feel that this, all of this is going on right here next to us. And we, some, some point in some lifetime, we're going to be able to be part of that as well and enjoy it. Yeah, and, and like I said, and then it was the beginning of hip hop, like, you know, 12 inch singles are starting to surface. And, and this is when Cool Herc, you know, who, who's now legendary for starting, you know, one of the, the first block parties that really brought all the elements together. Um, those were all things that were happening around me. And I, I thought it was exciting for sure, but by no means did I think that we were changing the world. I just thought we were having fun. Isn't that usually all the great things happens first? Kind of enjoying yourself, having a good time, and then see what else happens from there? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think so, for sure. Now, you were very young because you started as a graffiti artist. Yeah. Uh, how old Yeah, how old were you when the first time you saw Kane and you started... No. Spraying the walls. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, 16, 17, somewhere mm -hmm. in there. I mean, I was really, really young. And it, it was, uh, again, it was, you know, I, I was in junior high school. And, and so there was a long, long ago. Um, but uh, all of my friends were into it. And it just seemed like something really cool to do. And, and you know, short of getting in trouble by my parents, I was willing to sacrifice anything to be a part of, you know, the graffiti scene. How many times did you get caught and you going to I was lucky I, I didn't get caught, but <laughs> you, you know, like you just have to be faster than the slowest person. <laughs> That's the only thing I thought about. The interesting thing, Joe, because right now, of course, graffiti artist has an incredible reputation. It's something that really look at art at the highest level. But back then, it wasn't the case. It was frowned upon. It's even illegal. Were you aware of what you were doing? Were you aware that this can really cause, get you in real trouble? Or at that point, it was like, you know what? Whatever. We'll see what happens. 
I was a teenager. Like the danger was my middle name. You know, um, it, it really is true. It, it was just, you, you really can't understand what it's like walking on an elevated platform and, and you know, climbing up to, you know, I don't know, like 200 feet in the air to paint on a train. It's like, could you find anything more dangerous? I mean, it's literally like, imagine, you know, you might as well be, you know, a trapeze artist on the high wire, but to be doing that as a teenager and, and literally risking your life to paint your name on the side of a train. It, it sounds crazy when I say it out loud now. No, it's funny. So there, there was competition between you and your friends to see like whoever could get like the hardest spot to do it or things like that. Uh, yeah, but, but um, friendly competition. Yeah, we, we were all allies, but that was really the name of the game. It's like, you know, getting up, like, you know, the bigger, the better. I mean, this is America. That's where that comes from, you know, more, more, more. And that's what we did. We just all wanted to be better than the next guy or girl that came along. And it's the only way you could gain respect was showing people that you could do something that no one else could do. That you had what it takes to do that. Now, you were, as you mentioned, early teenager then. Were you, what were your plans for the future? Were you thinking about the future those days? Did you, aspirations, things that you wanted to accomplish? I mean, at that point, you mentioned, you know, high school, looking to, all right, I know, I'll be an adult <laughs> in a few you years. Know, and it, I've been an artist my whole life, and I've never wanted to be anything but an artist. So, I, in my plans, were just that, to figure out how to become an artist. I, you know, I don't know if my parents had other ideas for me, but that was my only idea. I didn't want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be a policeman. I, I didn't want to uh, go into the military. I wanted to be an artist. Was there anybody that kind of used you, you mirror as a role model? Someone say, okay, I want to be like that guy. I want to pursue it. No, follow those footsteps. No, uh, no, just, just art. You know, I, I didn't have art heroes growing up. By the time I was in my 20s, I had art heroes. But before that, I didn't have any. And, and the people that were my art heroes, luckily, were also New Yorkers, so people like Robert Rauschenberg, Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein, um, you know, Jasper Johns, people like that. So you said in your 20s and then you decided to have your heroes. At what point, I mean, you mentioned you always wanted to do this, be an artist, and that's the only thing you were ever going to be. But at what point did you realize, you know, I'm good at this. I, 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 I now really want to do this for a living. I should have something interesting to say people is gravitating towards this what I, knew, that, I knew that, that uh, i knew that before i was 10 years old because tell me I've more been, about that i say i've been an artist my whole life i really do mean that i mean five six seven eight nine ten you know straight through my teenage years i've been an artist my whole life and so by the the time i am in my twenties and I'm writing graffiti, it's just a matter of how do I 
take this skill and turn it into a real job and profession. And I, I just had to figure out that piece of the puzzle because that's the thing I did not know. I knew how to do all the other things because I, you know, read books and I studied and I practiced and practiced and practiced. You know, this might sound like a strange analogy, but I was um, listening to Bruce Springsteen talk and he said, I played more shows and played in more bars and clubs than most people realize. And that's the way I am about being an artist. I've drawn and painted for years before mm -hmm. having an opportunity to actually show my work to somebody in, in a gallery context. But it feels like you always have that confidence too, as you mentioned too, as a, as a 10 year old, you knew it. I'm good at this. I get yeah. this. This is. I mean, but that confidence is born out of being a New Yorker. My friends were young, but they were all confident and cocky. They're not like, you know, art school kids where they, you know, you know, teachers have to like scrape them up off the ground. Like we were like <laughs> hardcore and, and you know, even though a lot of my friends went to art school, what we learned was in the street and we got our education in the street. So we were all tough and you have to have a confidence in order to survive in New York City, especially when you're young and you're a kid, because you're going into the land of giants and adults. And if you don't have confidence, you will absolutely fail. At what point did you have your first breakthrough? Let's say the first time you realized, all right, I have my first exhibition, I have a gallery, I have a representation. How old were you then? 19. Wow. And what yeah. was it like to be 19 or old already accomplishing all of those things? It didn't feel like an accomplishment. It just felt like, oh, wow, I, I, I've cracked through. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's always like, on to the next thing. You, you know, oftentimes when people are patting themselves on the back, they're not paying attention to where they're going. And, and where I come from, you don't have time to think about how great you are because you're too busy hustling to get to where you're going. And, I, you know, I never really, you know, dwelled on it. I, I will say, I, I remember the first time I got a real check and I had like a brick of money in my hand and I was able to go to my parents and go, look, you know, I, I did this legally. And that was a great feeling. What was, what was the thing that the parents told you then? You, uh, that? I, you know, I don't know. I think they just took <laughs> half of it and paid some bills. <laughs> I don't know that they, they really thought much about me as much as, uh, you know, okay, here's one that's not getting in trouble. I come from a big, big family. And so, you know, they didn't have a lot of time, you know, to, you know, think about how great I was because they were always putting out other fires in the house. So if I'm doing okay, good, you know. Priorities, right? Keep the right. kids alive. Um, I like what you said about we don't have time to be patting ourselves in the back because we need to be looking for where we're heading. I think this is something that people can walk away 
we this day feel like we need to kind of celebrate our wins and be, you know, and enjoy it and things like this. But you have this mentality, like, you know what? It's done. Check, check the box, move on to the next. Yeah. I mean, you know, by example, we're just living in a different time now where young people are more fragile. Um, you know, I have grandkids and, and I have to, you know, they just require a different kind of nurturing. When I was young, people just sort of threw you into a situation and you had to figure it out. And failure was just not an option because, you know, nobody really cared. <laughs> you know, it was just that kind of thing. They didn't care about your feelings. They didn't care about what you were doing. It's just, okay, don't burn the house down. That, that was it. Were you paying attention to people's opinion of your work as an artist, sometimes critics or, you know, somebody that you respect, a 19-year-old? Was that something that kind of resonated with you or not quite? Not really. I mean, what we were doing was graffiti. It was outlaw art. So the idea of getting even a little bit of acceptance from traditional media outlets was enough. It was just mm. enough. I mean, we wanted respect from our peers on the subways. That, that felt like, you know, some kind of validation because those were the people that we interacted with. We didn't really interact with the, the world of the New York Times um, mm -hmm. and adults. It was, you know, our, our little, you know, friends that wrote graffiti. Those were the people that we wanted to impress. And what was the highest level of respect on that, in that community? What would it be like, a, you know, would it be like a nod or something like that? Well, what would it be like? Well, you know what it was? It's people knowing who you are. Mm. You know, there's a song that came out that was sung by, you know, the late, great Irene Cara. Fame. Baby, remember my name. The end. That's all you can. Like, if, if you met somebody in the Bronx and they knew who you were, you did your job. They, mm. they know who you are. Like, to be all city where you could go to any borough and somebody knows who you are, that means you did work. And that was a big, big deal growing up. All we wanted was respect in, you know, in and around the city, nothing else. So then at this point, you already have your gallery, you're doing graffiti, you were enjoying yourself, having a good time, respect from your peers. And then you just join, you know, Going to the music music industry and started working on that aspect. How did you bridge that gap between you know the music and the art, and be more involved with artists at that level? I, I didn't um, I didn't think of it in that way. I di I didn't think about it being a gap. I just thought it was the the next inevitable step. I I just wanted to. Um, move on. And, and I felt like the music business, I had a lane all by myself. It, it was just, you know, I'm, I'm going to start doing this. And this is this will be another direction that I can go in. And, and you know, my friends were at the time going off to Europe and Asia and all these other places. And I thought, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, master, you know, being in, in the, uh, you know, this new space and, and trying to make a name for myself in, in the world of graphic design. 
anything, do you have to adapt any aspect of your work to kind of not fit in, but to create this new lane that you're carving for yourself to make sense of it? Well, I had to definitely learn how to do traditional cut and paste graphic design. I had to learn this brand new language. Well, it was new to me. Mm -hmm. I, I had to learn how to do that. And that was not easy because it's literally like speaking a foreign language and you only know English. But in order to communicate in this world, you had to learn this language and you had to be good at it because if you weren't good at it, it was going to cost, you know, the record company's time and money. And back then they didn't want to spend five cents on something if they didn't have to. And if you made mistakes and it cost them money, it would cost you money. What was the first one for you? The, your first, your first album that you, you, you designed? Um, there was a, a record by uh, a woman called the, uh, the real Roxanne and, and it was uh, called Bang Zoom. And she was on a, a, a label called Select Records. This is the same label that UTFO was on. Mm. So I, I knew their manager. And um, Full Force was also on this um, label. And Full Force were the you know, producers and songwriters behind Lisa Lisa and the Cult Champ. So um, that was the first. And this is you know sort of happening right alongside Def Jam. But that was the, the, the first thing that I did mm -hmm. was for... Um, the real Roxanne. And, and recently I was in uh, LA for the Grammys, you know, a couple of months back. And I um, found a, uh, the, the record that I did in a, you know, in a, you know, $2 record bin. And I just remember buying it and it was, you know, something like seven to $10. And the guy's like, man, you're really staring at that record for a long time. And I said, I know this is a really important record. And, uh, you know, I didn't go into anything about designing it because, you know, he probably didn't care. He just wanted his seven bucks. But uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to see that. And, yeah, you know, I think about that often. Those special moments, right? That you kind of can look back and say, okay, a little pat on the back every once in a while. Well, now, <laughs> you know, I, I can spend time patting myself on the back all day long. But, you know, there's always uh, something to do. Now, at that time, you start collaborating with artists as well, with musicians. So you kind of understand what the album's about. Is there any specific thing that you remember, like a lyric, a word that inspire you to create a specific vision for a, for a specific album? Well, um, you know, you have to understand working with the, the, the artists uh, from Def Jam during that early period it was just so much fun because, you know, the, the, the movement hadn't exploded yet. So there wasn't all of this interest in all these different places. It was just this small little lane of like-minded people. And um, I'll just say, for example, working with Beastie Boys, we were doing something on our own terms and it wasn't being managed by adults. It was just us making something that we were passionate about, me handling the art, 
the guys obviously dealing with the, the music and production and all of it. But to be able to do something like that with your friends and, and not have it be this thing that had a lot of hands in the pot was just great because we were just making our, our work the way we wanted to make it. And we just hope that other people were going to like it as well. And as it turned out, they did. How, um, early in the process where you start developing the creative, the creative look of the album was, of course, we have to make sure that the album is ready or listen to the words and things like that. But how early do you start getting involved in those process? You know what? It wasn't nearly as complicated as it sounds. It's, uh, you know, a couple of us sitting in the room with the artists and we, you know, kick around some ideas and we think about, okay, does this look good on a cover? Um, what's the photograph going to be? What, what's the logo going to look like? Oh, you know, I'm going to do something by hand. You know, it, 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 there wasn't a lot of thinking and there wasn't a lot of outside input. And, and you know, first and foremost, it just had to look as good as the other things that were in the marketplace. And, and back then, DIY was the way that people did things because there wasn't, you know, all of these you know, fantastic, expensive outlets to make things. You did it by hand. And you were, you know, for the most part, only talking to a small group of people when the record was out there. So it, it wasn't a big, complicated thing that required a whole lot of thought. We were making music for our friends and people that we thought would like the same types of thing that we liked. Now, okay, so that's an interesting thing. So I mentioned back in the day, it was a bunch of guys, like-minded people kind of hanging out, putting things together, enjoying themselves. Now men hip-hop. And, a lot men of and women. guys, they, you know. But yeah, it, it was, um, that's why I say young people. Then you, mm -hmm. everybody's covered. Yeah, that, that's actually important to highlight because as you mentioned, a lot of times we will not acknowledge or be aware that there were, no, Everybody was involved in the process. But yeah. looking now, it's a multi, it's a billion dollar industry. It covers everything, every aspect of the world from culture, fashion, music, art, everything. I'm, I'm assuming that back in the day is not something you ever foresee that would become such a phenomenon. You mean the future? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know, when you're young, who's spending time thinking about the future? Like the future is like a week from now. You know, I, I wasn't daydreaming about, you know, the, the year 2000, although I did make a painting in, in uh, the 80s and I think in 1980, and it was uh, titled, you know, Graph 2001. And in my mind, I thought that that was like 100 years into the future. I didn't realize it was, you know, just 40 years. <laughs> crazy right i remember 2000 2000 as well we thought like oh the clocks is going to reverse the computers are going to go crazy it's going to be the end of the world and here we are how uh did you balance the your, the work that you were doing at death jam but also your own work you know your with the galleries and everything else were you able to keep a good balance around all those responsibilities yeah i mean it, it wasn't complicated you know when i started doing 
design, um, you know, my, I had a design firm called The Drawing Board, and, and we furnished our services to Def Jam. Mm. Um, I was putting all my energy into that, and then nights and weekends, I would go to my studio and I would make art. But it was like church and state. They, they did not compete. It, it, it was just, this was my day job, and I was happy that I could get all my creative frustrations out designing records. And then if there was something I wanted to do that felt a little bit more raw and edgy and outlaw, I would do that in my paintings. And it was just, you know, it, it was not a problem. And also the, the movement hadn't exploded yet. So it wasn't like there was all these outlets to showcase what you were doing. And then right after, soon after that, you start working with a lot of co corporations. You start, you done work for almost some of the biggest ones in the world. Uh, when, when was that thing started to happen to you? And, uh, and what was your immediate reaction? Well, you know, I was fascinated when the, the big corporations had creative directors that were smart enough to understand that the energy was still in the street. And they, they wanted to play with us. And for a creative director, for a company that's been around for 100 or 200 years to call you and say, we want to commission you to make something for us in your style, with your name, with your look and feel and aesthetic was gigantic because we never imagined that big brands were really checking for what we were doing. When in reality, they were looking at us to show them the future. And that's a, you know, it's just so much fun because, you know, you want to talk about a full circle moment for them to finally acknowledge that what we are doing, you know, as it relates to art and music and culture has power. And for them to say, you know, we're going to give you a slice of the pie and we're going to have you help us is really, you know, in some cases what we were waiting for for a long time, even though we were doing our own thing on our own terms. You know, anybody that says they don't like validation is, is not telling the truth. Everybody likes it. And to be able to do those things side by side is, you know, what it's all about. You got to make things on your own terms and somebody's going to partner with you and not micromanage what you're doing. Is that something that you look before you start doing more collaborations? And that's something that you still do when companies reach out to you, you're looking for someone who will give you the creative freedom, not micromanage, be able to understand your point of view. I'm not looking for anybody. They're looking for me. <laughs> It, you know, no, I understand. It, like, yeah, I, I, um, it's always nice when you have a partner that really understands who you are. And that's the one thing that's great about the, um, the brands that I work with is that they really understand who I am. They're not just looking to fill a void and say, oh, let's just get generic artist X because, you know, they can do it all. They're like, no, we want you for the unique recipe that you bring 
to the table. And, and, and that's what we are partnering with, not just anything. And, and it's not one size fits all. And I think it did take them a long time to figure that out. But once they did, they're like, oh, now we understand. These are all unique individuals. Like, good idea. Yeah, what, what, what I meant was that you were in that position that you got to pick. You know what I mean? Like, who do you want to collaborate with? And what are the things that you're looking for in those collaborations that make sense to you to be invested? And I guess you just answered that question uh, with, with all of that as well. Now, doing yeah, your I creative mean, process... Know, Go ahead. No, all I was going to say was, you know, I only have one criteria. I, I want to be treated well. The end. Like, whatever that means, that, that's what I want. And I think that it's no different than any kid, any, you know, person that's, you know, college age, middle age, everybody wants to be treated well, whatever that means to them. Yeah. No, no, I think everybody can, can relate to that. Doing your creative process, doesn't matter if you were talking about an album or your own, your own work itself or collaborating with a corp big corporation, how does everything start? So are you someone who creates in a vacuum? Are you someone who just take walks, music? What's, is that like a process, a recipe? Um, I, you know, I don't know about a recipe, but I, I like to always get a full picture of what I'm dealing with. So if you can provide me with materials and, and, and content and, um, you know, things that can help me paint a better picture of, you know, who you are as the client, then, you know, ultimately that's, that's the best thing because I'm going to, you know, bring my own stuff to it anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I like to know who I'm working with and, you know, in the end, I want to make sure that they're happy. It's not just, here yeah, I made this thing, take it. And, you know, like, I hope it works for you. Um, yeah. I, I really want to make sure that I'm, putting in all of the things that I need to, to make sure it's a success because my name is on it and it, it, it's taken me a lifetime to get here. And so I want them to be happy, but I also want to be happy. And a lot of that starts with them knocking on my door. Are you uh, optimistic about the future? Sure. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm optimistic right now. So as you look at the art world and where we're heading, now we're talking about a lot of NFTs and there's all this different technology involved and a lot of AI and all those things. When you look at all those things, you see nothing but opportunity. Well, I don't know if I see opportunity for me, but I certainly see opportunity for you know, young people that are coming up that are going to figure out a way to take the technology, do something interesting, hopefully have a good time in the process and, and maybe even change the world. Because in the end, that's really the role of an artist is to make something that makes people think and hopefully change the world. What kind of grandfather are you? Are you the one that's part of them or more restricted? I don't know. I, you, you know, I'm not, you know, this wild rebellious guy anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want my kids to know who they are 
and I want them to be true to themselves. And if they can be good to other people in the process, then mission accomplished. Um, all the other stuff will work itself out because, you know, the minute they go out into the world and they make friends, those friends are going to influence their thinking. Then they get older, they're going to have a partner. That person is going to influence their thinking. And I just don't want them to lose who they are because oftentimes we can sacrifice years of our lives trying to make some other person happy and they might not be the right kind of person that's going to help you make the world a better place. Say, so we're in the point of the show now that I'd like to ask three questions to all the guests that come here. So here they are. One, we want you to recommend us a book. It can be something that you just read recently or one of your favorites. It's up to you. Uh, a movie or a TV show, something to watch. And who should we have here in the podcast as our next guest? Wow. Um, man, that's, a, that's an interesting one. A, a, a book, I would say, um, man, like, I'm, you know, I'm a big, big Keith Haring fan. And so to me, I, I think if uh, there's a good book out there, just get, you know, anything by Keith Haring because he was such a, a, a loving spirit and he just made such great work and it was fun and it was whimsical and he was a great guy as well. And so I want to continue to keep putting that out into the universe. So that's one thing. Okay. Uh, movie, uh, my favorites are National Lampoon's Vacation uh, or uh, any one of the Rocky movies, preferably like the first one, two, and three. Um, and uh, what was the last thing? I guess. Who do you think we should have over? Yes. Oh, um, uh, maybe Shepard. Shepard Fairey. Oh, yeah. Shepard's always got great things to say. And, you know, he's taken over the world. So, you know, he'd be a great guest. So now what's next for you? I know you have an exhibition in Austin coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's um, called Combinations. And it, it, it's really sort of bringing together all of these different aspects of different times in my life in addition to recent things in my life. And it, it, it's a, a combination of past and present, um, different elements. And I'm also, for the first time, collaborating with five or six artists that I've never worked with before. And that's a lot of fun because there are no rules. And when I collaborate with people, I want them to have the freedom to do their thing. And then they give it to me and then I do my thing. And we hope that it works together. Um, and it reminds me of when uh, Jean-Michel and Andy Warhol uh, collaborated. They just got in a room and they made stuff. And I, you know, that's what I'm thinking about for this combination show. Um, and it, it starts on uh, October 21st and it goes, you know, you know, for the next month or so into uh, November. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm working on a bunch of, you know, stuff here in the studio to get ready for Art Basel and, and 
you know, in the holidays. And then, you know, that's a, a thing that sort of takes off on its own and, and, you know, family and all of it. But, you know, I got plenty to keep me busy and, and, and looking behind me, I can tell I also have a lot of cleaning up to do. <laughs> we all do, my friend. Trust me. <laughs> Say, again, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been such a fun conversation. Yeah, a little bit, to know you a little bit, but also, you know, go deeper back in the day and see how the person came to be, you know? <laughs> well, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Say, take it easy. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Experience the world of art, design, and culture through Minded Podcast. Engage with groundbreaking artists, visionary designers, and cultural influencers, and delve into their creative processes. Minded Podcast, powered by the CDA. New episodes every Tuesday.